yeah, let's get into this one. It's going to be a big old meal. Um, this is in the series of what we've been doing with this victim, Victor, everything I'm looking around and seeing at the culture. Uh, just a real quick reminder as we dive into this content, I'm trying to give it to you in a diagnostic way. Um, you know, for sure, I hope that you're able to check out the Site Shift Academy as a resource, as a solution. But let's say that doesn't work for you. Let's say Site Shift Coaching is not what you're interested in as far as the solutions that are offered. Offered. My hope is still at the highest level to challenge and get you to think about some strategic things that you're doing in your life, in the world that you're building around you, uh, so that you can really make sure that you are the kind of leader who develops and empowers others. So um, when I dive into today, I want to give you seven diagnostic questions, seven diagnostic questions that you can just evaluate your environment. Are you building a victim or a victor culture? And this applies to families, this applies to teams, this applies to organizations. Now, when I give you these diagnostics, um, I made a couple of introductory comments in a previous podcast, and I feel like it's worth saying again, you know, where does this content come from? It's not just empirical anecdotal observations. That is a part of it, but it's I'm using multiple lenses. I'm looking at historical survey over thousands of years and philosophy in religion. I'm looking at current leadership learnings, where the marketplace is at. I'm looking at psychological practices and what's developing in, in that world. Um, and then how to bring that into what's happening right now. How should we act? How should we live? So uh, when people come to me for sight shift, they're coming because one or two reasons. There's a stuck point, and it's usually how to focus and get a greater result. Um, how to fix a relationship, uh, co-founder, you know, shared business ownership, personal relationship, whatever, uh, or some big decision they're making, or there's a lot of success and they want to accelerate it still. And they need to accelerate in the turn. So they either need to get going on the hill or learn how to accelerate in the turn. Now, I feel grateful to work with everybody I've ever been able to work with. I truly feel like so many things in life um, it's like, whoa, pinch me, you know, I get to do this. Um, and I want to help everybody make their life as amazing as possible. I don't want to unnecessarily offend any of you. There is going to pro probably be some kind of offense that people can take from today's episode if I'm misunderstood. Um, and some people, no matter how I say it, are going to run away in their minds with what they're hearing. And, and I'm going to teach this to you like you and I are friends and you believe in uh, my, my motives and my motive is just to try to help wake you up to what's happening in the world around us. My logic is by drawing attention to this, even if I risk controversy for some of you, you're going to see something that you weren't seeing before. Um, this has been done many, many times throughout human history when great change is happening. Somebody kind of raises a flag on an issue. I think there are other people raising the flag. I'm just one of those raising a flag. And uh, I want to take you to the action point of what we can actually get done. So I'm going to run you through some diagnostic questions to help you recognize if you're building a victim or victor culture. Uh, so let's just jump into that, okay? So a victor culture values empowerment. A victim culture <laughs> values comfort. Now, I, I want comfort. Comfort is fine, but I have to be empowered to grow more than I value anything else. So the first question I'm just asking you to think about in your culture now, do you value empowerment? And there's a lot of ways that I want to really come at this uh, from philosophical observations, what's happening in society. With each of these, I want to tell you a little bit of a business story um, and also, you know, come back full circle to a practical way that you can take something from it and look across your culture. Now, the story I would tell you for this point is this, uh, and names have been changed to protect the innocent, so I'm just going to call him Gary. But Gary had a company, grew like crazy, and he drove in one day and he felt those feelings that we've all felt before if we've been here. Oh my gosh, all these people, they're counting on me. I mean... So-and-so has kids in college and they are getting braces, you know, all of this weight of I've got to take care of these people. And so we get on the phone and he's talking about the stress of this. And I'm like, no, 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 no. 
that's a victim culture mentality. That's codependent and dangerous. That's going to have them thinking that it's your job to provide for them. Your job isn't to provide for them. Your job, if you value empowerment, is to create the environment, the conditions for them to show up and do their job. So in other words, if they don't do their job, if they're not growing, if they're not on their own journey of development, if you've created the environment for that, they've self-selected out of your organization. This isn't heartless. This is healthy. Uh, you know, you come over to my house and um, my 12-year-old is like, hey, dad, I'm hungry. Feed me. And I get the applesauce and I'm like, mmm, flying to her mouth. And you're like, what the heck? Why isn't she eating herself? Uh, assuming she's normal functioning in her capacity. Well, I haven't done something to stretch her to grow, she's been hindered in some way. And what a lot of people aren't able to do is really understand the times in which we live. Now, I'm going to break this down for you uh, psychologically, and I'm going to make a point here and then back it up. What's so dangerous about what's happening in our society right now is there is an obsession with collective tribal identity before individual identity. Here's what that means. We look for the ways that we can say, well, you know, I, I am this, so that is all of me. And that's just not true. So I'm going to quote to you from Maya Angelou because I love this and she says it so great. She talks about this idea that we have to create ourselves daily. And she said, what I represent, in fact, what I'm trying like hell to represent every time I go into that hotel room is myself. Now, she's about to explain how she thinks of herself. So just listen in. She says, that's what I'm trying to do. And I miss most of the time on that. <laughs> I do not represent blacks or tall women or women or Samoans or Californians or Americans. Or rather, I hope I do because I am all those things. But that is not all that I am. I am all of that and more and less. So she's saying, yes, part of me Part of who I am is a Californian, is a Samoan, is a woman, is a tall woman, is black. But those aren't all of me. You know, this is one of the things that's uh, brilliantly illustrated in a Key and Peele episode where it was uh, two gay co-workers. One was being obnoxious and the other one, and, and he thought it was because like he was persecuting him only to find out that wasn't the case. Uh, your race is a part of your identity. It's not all of your identity. Your sexuality is a part of your identity. It's not all of your identity. Anytime you take a part of you and make it all of you for deep tribal identification, then you're putting the collective before the individual. And this is how dangerous things happen because you start to say, uh, whatever benefits the collective is justifiable. So you have this culture right now that's developing and for sure, you need to pay attention to this for companies with young hires because it is replete. But they're coming in and they're actually looking for ways that they've been victimized. They're looking to try to understand, well, I'm this and I'm this and I'm this and I'm this and therefore I've been victimized. And the only way to bring me up is to take you down. No, that's not it. You don't, you're not going to eradicate society of uh, the past you just move it forward. You're not going to eradicate society from the presence of, you know, certain uh, markers. You just keep moving it forward. And so I'm going to go deeper into that in a second. Let me just say this. Look, victim cultures want validation. You know, give me, give me, give me. Validate, validate, validate. Victor cultures want growth and development. That's what they're passionate about. Now, look, what I'm about to do, as you know, I shared that quote with from Maya with you that, you know, these, these parts that describe you, they're not all of your identity. They're part of your identity to really drive this deeper. I need to expand your palate. Okay. Uh, when I first had what you could call the third wave coffee, and I was only used to the taste of burned beans, I had somebody educate me and they're like, Hey, look, think about your palate. Like it's got three levels. How's it hit in the front? of your taste buds, the middle of your taste buds, back of your taste buds. Now, I know this sounds frou-frou. Hang with me. When I did that, I was like, oh my gosh, I taste blueberry. How do I taste blueberry? It broke my brain. Like in the seventh grade when I was learning Latin and I was like, how do words have gender? If you grow up in a culture that the language, the words have gender, this is no big deal to you. But in English, we don't have that. And so 
much like in the seventh grade when I was like, how is water feminine? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm standing there and going, how am I tasting blueberry in this coffee? Oh, it's, it's in the soil. It's the dirt. It's these flavors. And I can go on and on all of this process. Well, my wife and I can go on a date at a dinner and it tastes, if we go to a, you know, a cheap place that it's like they've microwaved the food and it's two flavors mashed together. Or we could go on a date where it's this explosion of flavors like ratatouille where it's, you know, going off in his mind and all these colors where it's all these layers and flavors. And so I'm going to expand your palate a little bit. I'm going to stretch you. This is a taste, uh, you know, that you may not have experienced before to really explain the time that we live in and how critical this is. So let me just give you a few names. One, Freud comes along and says, hey, the big problem in society is sex and repression. Um, Now, psychologically, Carl Jung took us in a different direction. And by and large, from a psychological standpoint, his ideas have been more helpful. He's won out. Uh, you know, Freud was still crazy helpful, and there was a lot of genius about his thinking. But the idea is, no, it's not sex that is everything. Uh, Carl Jung said, we're actually, we've got desires at work, and they're taking us somewhere. And that's a lot of what shaped my thinking in building week five of our 12-week coaching program on desire. Um, so you've got Freud saying it's sex. you got Marx saying, hey, it's money. It's all about money, our economy. And the way that we're going to have this place better, this world, we're going to create utopia by leveling everything out. Well, the problem with that is um, you're always going to have people who are being very strategic and savvy and cunning and aggressive. And they're either going to be safe with that power or trust and trustworthy with that power or dangerous with that power. Well, if everybody else is a lemming, it's going to get filled up with dangerous people. Leadership is a vacuum and it will get filled. So you've got people like Stalin and Mao that kill millions and millions, tens of millions of people in the name of it's all about the money. It's all about the economy. We can engineer a utopian society. The collectivist identity, the collective identity is more important than the individual identity. No. Um, And then you had another threat to this with what's happened in postmodernism. Postmodernism is all about power. So there you go, the three three big ones, sex, money, power. And that it's all about whoever has uh, the right interpretation and the knowledge. And so the way that postmodernism kind of deconstructed uh, the world was saying all interpretations are valid. Now, the issue here is, and I know some of you are like, oh my gosh, this is palette expanding. Hang just for a second longer. I'm swinging back around. I know some of you super smart and you're like, Chris, you're just doing too much overfly over here. And I get it. Um, but, but this idea that all interpretations are valid, I've mentioned on a podcast before. No, there has to be some sense of uh, truth. Now, it could be your truth that you're taking from a situation, um, but there's also some transcendence with like, there's a movie that you love, or there's a, there's a book that you love. And there's something in that book or that movie that, that has a, a trait of truthiness to it, we could say, that you resonate with, that you're drawn to. Um, and what we've got right now in this crazy makeup of these tensions of ideas we, we now have a lot of people that think the expression of power is evil. Just like, you know, and you still have some people hanging on to Marxism, which is insane to me. No, the answer is never this collectivism. Uh, you know, the West changed the world with this idea of the individual. It is the individual. That's why SightShift is all about identity, mission, community. You know, and this has huge implications for society. I get it. Learn who you are as a secure person. It overflows into your mission so that you build healthy community. Um, what are the character traits of this? Identity, humility, to bring the truth you live in perfectly, to live your mission with grit and grow your influence so that you can serve your community for the good of the world. You move things forward. If we don't understand what's happening right now, then we are going to have a uh, place where people are continuing to get shut down in their development. They're not going to grow. They're not going to grow because we're not valuing empowerment. We're valuing validation. 
And the dangerous thing that happens in a society where you value validation is you shut people down from growing and becoming who they can be. Uh, one of the things that uh, you'll see happen over time is people will use this argument to go, well, we need to try again creating these utopian societies and I'll be a better Stalin. Well, no, you won't. You are BSing and tricking yourself on what it means to understand how the world works. I mean, we had this idea a couple thousand years ago that was revolutionary um, that expanded out of, you know, a Judeo-Christian worldview that I think has transcended implications for the world that each human being has worth. And society has progressed on that continually and, and continues to. And so it doesn't matter where you come from, you know, your experience, religious or not, we now continue to advance along these lines. And I love the advancements that societies are making right now along this line, but I'm seeing this insidiousness growing around, oh, it's the group identity over personal identity. No, 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 it's personal identity, then group identity. Uh, so if we don't grab a hold of this, we're not going to value empowerment. We're going to value validation. Is validation important? Yes. Do I want to validate others? Absolutely. Do I try to validate myself? Hey, Chris, this was tough. You did a good job. Awesome. Yeah. But again, it's the main thing that you're uh, looking out to get. If the main thing you're going after is validation, everybody needs a trophy. There is no score. You are not going to value growth. It's okay. We're not the same. We're not wired up the same. Let's get everybody on their own journey of becoming whole. Now, before I dive a little bit more into this, let me just talk about everybody going on their own journey to become whole because there's so much to say. Um, what you've got to do if you are a human being who influences others is understand their belief systems have to upgrade and change. It's the way we mature. Now, I don't have a ton of time to comment on this. I wrote an email to my email list about it, but the the way that I've talked about this before, Nietzsche's three stages, Camel, Lion, Child, Robert Keegan, self-socialized um, mind, self-authoring mind, self-transforming mind. The way that we could talk about it here today is belief systems, right? Everybody has a belief system. You say, well, I don't have any belief system. Well, that's your belief system. I mean, everybody's organizing their lives around some set of values. And your first belief system is the one you grow up with, right? It surrounds you at an early age. It might be a positive experience from adult to child. It could be a negative one you formed in response to deep hurt or pain. And, and some people never fully grab a hold of their first belief system. But everybody has an experience with a first belief system. And yes, there are sometimes you'll find people that are still in that phase. It happens rare. They usually move to a second belief system, which is going to be a slight modification of their first one, or uh, one that is very bitter from the tragic results of life. Because life isn't fair and the world isn't fair. I mean, the minute you start to know that and feel that and own that, you become more resilient. Um, the second belief system oftentimes can be one of protest. And I'm going to tell you why I'm talking about that here. Uh, and by one of protest, I mean there's usually some kind of uh, anti-blank stance taken. Well, the problem is corporations. Well, corporations have done some evil things, but they've also done amazing things. Well, the problem is uh, white male leaders. Well, no, white male leaders have done some amazing things and some terrible things. Um, so what happens in the second belief system, you, be, you, you become committed to deconstruction. That's when group identity has transcended personal identity in a false way, and you've reset the clock back 2,000 years uh, and even more to the dysfunctional way that humans can be tribal and justify evil for the sake of the betterment of their group, whatever their specific group is. So the real goal for me, if you're going to value empowerment, is to help get people to their third belief system, this is where you get beyond thinking that life or the world should be fair. You improve what you can for yourself and others. So it's not just for you, it's for the good of society. It's where you learn to make your own meaning and you pursue the values that you want to pursue that build a world around you that's healthy and whole in a great society. Uh, you can use the tactics and strategies of others, but you're owning your decisions. And the third belief system originates from a secure identity. So when I say, do you value empowerment? It's asking, do you value how others need to develop? If we don't value empowerment, 
then we're already step one into a victim culture. And, and here's what's going to happen. You're, you're going to have people that focus on their disadvantages. And they're not going to learn resi- uh, resilience. They're going to be drowning in comparison. They're not going to have a sharp mindset. And the easiest way that I can point to you that we have in our culture right now, a dysfunctional approach to disadvantage, is the championing of mindfulness. Now, I, I told you I was going to risk losing some of you with this. You say, Chris, mindfulness is good. Absolutely. Mindfulness is fantastic. It, it takes a lot of work um, to break out of the triggers around you, the cultural norms, the things that are overwhelming your senses to say, I want to learn how to think and be different. I want to be present with my emotions. I don't want to judge myself. I want to learn how to love myself. Awesome. That's a battle hard fought. But, but here's the reason that I think it's a problem that this is what we champion. When this is what we champion, we think that awesome, mindfulness is here, great. No, mindfulness is the starting point. Mindset is the ending point, that you've upgraded your mindset. So yes, I can look at the ways that I need validation, look at the ways I've been hurt, look at the disadvantages, and we should do all we can to level the playing field of life, but it'll never be level, and you can't focus on your disadvantages. Resilient people turn obstacles into opportunities. So I want my kids to understand that valuing empowerment means I'm not focused on how they had it easier or better than me. I'm just focused on doing what I can with what I have. And if we value empowerment, then we're going to build healthy institutions. You know, victim cultures build unhealthy institutions, whether it's places of work or marriages or any relational group. The quickest way to be evil is to keep people trapped in their first two belief system. That's codependence. So we want to not create this. Um, and, And a culture that is a victor culture that values empowerment will say, whether you're an Asian female or a white male, lead. We need you to lead. We need you to be as courageous and strategic and cunning as you can be, but also kind and safe and trustworthy with that power. For all the organizations right now that are embracing empathy training, awesome. Embrace it. Learn to be empathetic. But it's not just stopping at empathy for validation's sake. It's, it's empathy, but let's take that empathy and put it to the mission and move society forward. So, yeah, I'm, I am passionate about this. I see it in a way that um, makes me abnormal, I know. I sit in the sauna, you know, and I hear people talk about their lives and retirement isn't all they thought it to be or can't wait for retirement or people that are younger typically aren't in the sauna early in the morning. Uh, but when they are, um, those conversations tend to be very typical too as far as, you know, I can't make my spouse happy or, you know, slogging all the hours in in the career and I know that when you're just in the the flow of life, it's hard to like pop your head up and look at this bigger idea, but you can assess the culture around you and what you're building. Are you building something that thinks the end point is validation, mindfulness, or is it empowerment, upgrading the mindset? I faced this hardship. Now let me grow through it. Let me change. Uh, So that's the first marker of a culture that is into um, a victor mindset, not a victim mindset. It values empowerment. Uh, Second question, are we growing leaders or coddling victims? Are we growing leaders or coddling victims? See, what happens when you're growing leaders Uh, mindset gets challenged, the flabbiness of your mindset where it's weak and you have to upgrade and grow. So, you know, life has hard days with amazing moments. Life has harder days with amazing moments. And sometimes life has amazing days with hard moments. But I can tell you this, whatever those hard moments or hard days are for you, validation will not make the suffering worth it. You can't get enough validation to make your life and the suffering you experience, worth it. It's an endless well. What makes it worth it is when you get secure in who you are and you turn your hardships into mission and you build community. This is how you learn to validate yourself, to lead, to build relationships. Um, And you can't move whatever it is that you want to move forward in this world without a pipeline of leaders. And so if you're not careful, 
you can develop an organization that has a bunch of willing soldiers, but no rising star lieutenant, lieutenants, no people that are actually uh, learning to develop through the hardships of life. So, you know, the, the personal question here that you can check in with yourself is, are we becoming resentful anywhere? Am I becoming resentful anywhere? Where am I looking at hardships and failing to learn how this can grow me? Um, you know, this is as simple as when you're leading people, and, and I told you I'd tell kind of business stories with, with each of these. This question comes up all the time. When somebody is leading a team of people, when they're leading their business, multiple occasions, whatever, hey, oh my gosh, I get stressed out. People come to me and ask me questions, and I'm like, oh, that should be better. I should do that. And it adds to my to-do list. Well, it doesn't have to add to your to-do list. Flip it back. They came to you with the question, go, oh, I'm so glad you noticed that. I need you to help fix that. You're not coddling. You're growing a leader at that point. You're giving them responsibility. Yes, there needs to be training. Yes, you need to make sure there's alignment on the vision. Yes, you need to make sure there's alignment on the values. But you're, you're, you're growing them. And, and what you don't understand is for some people, that are exercising the full impact of their cunningness, their strategy, their personal brilliance. Um, some of them, some of them are going to use all that effort and influence to manipulate. And if, if that's the case, the question in leadership environments isn't how do we chop down all expressions of power? It's that we need, especially in cultures that are big and where there's multi-layered organizations and lots of employees, we need to fill this place with cunning, strategic, savvy leaders who are trustworthy with the power. But not everybody is that way. You know, I tell my kids this. They're at that age where, because I don't want them to have a victim mindset, they go on, um, you know, the whole boy thing is happening now and relationships and stuff. And so with three daughters, I just tell my daughter, hey, look, when he goes to the movie with you and he puts his arm beside yours, he's not like, hey, yeah, this is the best life is going to be. This is it. This is all I wanted, just to put my arm up against hers. What he's going to think next is, I wonder if I could take my pinky and touch her hand. Yeah, yeah. And he's not thinking at that point, this is the best life can be. This is awesome. I'm done. No, he's going to try to hold your hand. He's going to put his arm around. You know, at this point, my daughter's like, Dad, this is gross. Um... And so I want them to understand that oftentimes the guy wants to move it forward and they may not be trustworthy with that power. Uh, so you need to be ready. This was based on a, a study that I had come across where girls that grew up with brothers uh, were able to defend boundaries better against guys. Not all guys are evil, and I'm not making it sound that way. This is so much biology, and I don't even want to get into that. And I'm so thankful for the Me Too movement and all the change that's happening with that. This is amazing. No means no. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, no means no, no means no. But I don't want to train my daughters to be coddled as a victim. I want to grow leaders, and I want them to understand how this process works so that they're able to take the steps they need to. And we just live in a society right now that's like, it's, it feels a little crazy. I mean, you have a birthday day and now we have birthday weeks and I heard about somebody having a birthday month and I'm like, what the heck? This is like a birthday year. It's going to be next. This is crazy. We, we've got to stop this somewhere. But we've all been at some level ruined, especially uh, in first world societies, by school. I mean, success is based on your grades, which is a static definition of success. So it's about how well you can do to game the system back not getting to the edge of your abilities and learning. Memorizing was prioritized over thinking, which shuts down your ability to be creative. Uh, oftentimes, sports were put over uh, academics, which is a whole other layered uh, issue. Um, you've got you know, such a lack of critical thinking and such a disengagement uh, that happens. And listen, pro-level people make pro-level movements, and all of that comes from hardship where you're growing through your challenges. So I say this phrase a lot. It's no coasting, no drowning. We want to stretch to grow. I don't want to be a victim and hide from my challenges. I don't want to be a manipulator and try to prove something in my challenges. 
you know, I don't want to hide from my power as a victim. I don't want to prove with my power as a manipulative person, but I do want to express my influence to its greatest capacity. And I want to have a motive of helping others develop. Um, and the best way that I could really like zero this in for you is a story that I tell a lot in some settings uh, that I can make sure people understand what I'm trying to say with it. And it's an older story that's you know, appreciated in multiple cultures, but it's a story of two characters named Eli and Samuel. And Samuel comes to Eli, and Eli represents this voice of strength and tradition. You know, Eli runs the temple in um, the life of Israel at this time. And so Samuel comes to him as a boy, nine years old, and he's been, we don't know his age exactly, but somewhere around there. And, you know, he's been trained and, you know, Eli represents the, the ongoing tradition of his family, we could say, just like your mom might have desires for you or your dad. You know, it's this, it's this strength in his tradition. And, and he comes to Eli and says, you called for me. And Eli says twice, no. Samuel comes to him, you, you called for me. No, third time, you called for me. And Eli says this crazy thing. He says, I, I think it's God. Go lay down and say, here I am, speak. Now, I, I want you to psychologically understand the significance of this. Because wherever you land with the bigger idea there, I'm not worried about that. However you think about finding your North Star, however you think about finding your identity and the expression of your mission. But I want you to understand what's huge here is the most powerful institution in Samuel's life at that point handed him off to finding his own journey. Whoa. That's what it means to value empowerment. That's what it means to grow leaders over coddling victims. We're not going to try to keep people entrenched in our belief system we're going to hand them off to progress to their third belief system. Whoa. So when I look at um, how people try to fly on planes with peacocks for their emotional support animals, uh, which may have been a PR stunt, and it did spark an idea for me. I was like, I'm going to fly on a plane with an anaconda, giant snake. Of course, I have sightshift.com on it. So when the news agencies come, you know, you get this free PR. But uh, when I look at like some of the silliness of these things where it's being taken to an extreme, I do see the signs of lots of people becoming very, very weak in their mindset. Now, you know, Sight Shift is not about counseling. We're about performing at the highest level for thriving. There are people that need lots of help to survive. There's no shame in that. You get it. Brain chemistry is different. Experiences are different. Trauma is different. I am talking to people that are building organizations, and that's why I'm focusing my language the way that I am, but I do recognize that challenge. Okay, next question, third question for are we building a victim or a victor culture? Is failure expected from everyone? Is failure expected from everyone? So you're building a victim culture if people can't fail. Stress, all stress is, um, let me say it this way. Think more about stress as conditioning than a negative response to an event. So you could have a stressful moment in front of you because it's one you've never experienced or the stakes are higher. So not enough stress, you're not at the edge of your abilities, too much stress, you become sloppy. And, and you've got to figure out how you best live in the sweet spot of what optimizes and maximizes you. I teach you lots of things in in the academy at the siteshiftacademy.com on how to build your best triggers and to deal with with high stress situations. But the, but the thing is here, you should be messing up, right? I mean, the studies have shown that in academics, um, children need to be praised for progress more than results. Hey, I love how you tried hard on this. Not, oh my gosh, you got an A, you're so smart. No, you're smart because you keep trying. You keep working on this. So we're not trying to deliver this static, fixed assessment of you. We want to keep you engaged. Um, so I'll have business owners oftentimes ask a lot about this. Well, how, how, can, I, how can I create an experience where people can fail and it not hurt the business, right? Um, so the way that I talk about this, and I remember one guy coming to me, we'll call him Edward. He had like 140 employees and he's like, okay, so how do I help them grow? Uh, I, I want to allow them to fail and mess up. 
I can't afford to be laissez-faire about this. Here it is. I've taught you this before, but I'll just reiterate it real quick. It's bike wrecks and car wrecks. Remember, car wrecks are the three big things we're not laid back about. Bike wrecks, don't keep repeating them, but it's okay. I'm teaching my daughter to ride her bike. She can fall off. It's okay. Get back up. I'm teaching her to drive now. That's not okay. A car wreck is a big, serious thing. So understand that a car wreck in an organization is when something gets off vision, off value, off strategy, no alignment. That's the first car wreck. The second kind of car wreck are relationally divisive people. They, they divide. They don't unite. And the third kind of car wreck are when people block innovation, systems improvement. We've never done it that way before. We can't. You know, here's why. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, everything else is a bike wreck. I don't keep repeating the same bike wrecks, but we have to create environments. And you say, Chris, this is high-level strategy. I need it to be very practical. Well, you know, when I'm with organizations, I can help get a lot more specific on this, but I can just tell you that if you're growing, if you're growing, you will mess up. Three mistakes you don't want to make is don't follow your leader's vision or strategy. You as the leader fail to communicate it. That's a car wreck. Don't tear down others and don't lock in and fail to improve it. But if you're not exposed to messing up, you're not going to grow. <laughs> and if you're not going to grow, you're not going to adapt. If you're not going to adapt, you, you die. I mean, this is an idea that's very, very old when you look at, you know, uh, the, the millions and millions and millions of years of this idea, adapt or die. So my goal in looking at a culture is if we're growing leaders, then we're developing people who initiate when they're tired, who make decisions when they're unsure, who learn how to bring confidence and energy to others when they've had a fight with their partner, who've stopped thinking either or, but really start tapping into creative solutions, um, and, and they're ready to grow. And a statement about growing leaders or coddling victims, somebody, I hear this all the time, but I don't have enough resources. Okay, listen, if you're on a team and you're saying to your boss, I don't have enough resources, any healthy leader, owner, they understand this. The vision always outpaces the resources. I've never had enough resources. If somebody came to me right now and was like, million dollars, could you multiply that into 10 million for site shift? Yeah, I'm ready right now. Okay, but you couldn't do it with 10 million or 100. Yes, I can. I mean, the vision outpaces the resources. I always think about this when I think about Kanye trying to ask Zuckerberg for a ton of money because he had all these big ideas, right? His vision outpaces resources. I don't know how thought through his ideas were, but the point still holds. Okay, question number four for a victim culture is leadership focused or distracted? Um, I'll tell you the story of Sam who had a business and, of course, names changed to protect the innocent. His mind and heart had changed and he had gone on to the next thing. And my conversation with him was very simple. You have to find a new motivation for this business or move on because it required his direct leadership. Uh, I work with people where it doesn't require his or her direct leadership and they can outsource and get somebody or get somebody in there as a, a key player. You know, maybe their business is a holding company with multiple businesses. But in this situation, he became distracted. And when you have a victim culture, what you have is people that don't know how to zero in. Instead... They are focused, and this is the way I like to think about this. Um, they are focused on the 17 important things that need to be done rather than the one absolutely essential thing that has to get done that's flowing out of either their alignment, their vision, their strategy for the leader, flowing out of their desire for mission. People are going to judge you. They're going to think, oh my gosh, why didn't you do more here? Why didn't you do more here? Why didn't you do more here? No matter what you do, people are going to judge you. Um, I'm going to listen to feedback when it's presented to me, if it's people that care for me. I'm going to look for where I can grow while dismissing what isn't helpful. I don't have to live in suspicion of the judgments that I'm never going to hear for others. No matter what I do, people are going to, to, to misjudge me. And if I start living for other people and their reaction, I'm going to be distracted. I mean, even for me to record this podcast right now, I feel bad. There are a lot of podcasts or there are a lot of emails I need to answer. Um, I feel bad because there's some things that I need to tackle relationally and get out in front of. Uh, 
But I am in a place right now where I'm uber-focused on the main mission. And victim cultures, and this is why they're victim cultures. Let me thread this really tight for you. They're not okay letting people hurt. Now, that sounds crazy, I know. You can't do it all. There are some things you have to ignore, and you have to learn what you can pay attention to. I read where Bill Gates, they put out their... um, their letter for the year. So I'm recording this. This is 2018 in February. Uh, so they put out their their um, their annual letter, and they were just answering ten c- tough questions they've received. And you know, some of those questions are about things that they don't spend money on and help with. And they were just like, "Look, like our our hearts hurt over these things, but we're focused here." I mean, this is an amazing idea, right? That they have these this money. That if they're foolish with it, it's not going to create the life-sustaining change that they want to see happen. And so they know people are hurting, and and theoretically they could provide some immediate relief, but they don't do that. Like most people, until they've been in a place of leadership, have no idea the weight of responsibility and the pain and what that feels like. And so, you know, some criticism, respond to it. If it's a car wreck, respond some you're going to anticipate. And so I teach you this in, in the Figure That Leadership Out course in the academy, how to anticipate people's reactions and redirect in healthy ways. And then some you're just going to disregard. Okay, fifth question for a culture that is healthy, a victor culture, not a victim culture. Here it is. Is recovery understood to be a part of the workout. See, healthy cultures understand this. We're asking a lot. The question isn't to ask less. Uh, I talked about that in an a earlier podcast in this series. It's we're going to ask more, but we're going to need to understand recovery as a part of the workout. Uh, my wife and I, we talk about this because the sauna is a part of our routine. And she'll be like, oh, I have a headache. And I'm like, did you do your electrolytes? <laughs> uh, you have to understand, you sweat like that in the sauna, come home, do the electrolytes. That's part of the workout. Now I'm not Tom Brady level with my electrolytes thinking I can reverse sunburn. Maybe he can. Uh, He said that, I think that was in his book. Um, Hey, when you consistently perform at a high level, you know, maybe you get some weird thinking on some things. Tom, if you're listening to this dude, if you need a mindset coach, don't, don't feel burned by my comments. Um, But the idea is in a victor culture, recovery is understood to be part of the workout. I mean, this is the problem in cultures that are victim cultures. It's not just the abuse of people. It's actually not being able to say something isn't okay. I mean, that's what you have happening in societies where dictatorial leaders tried to create utopia and killed millions of people. If you don't say everything is awesome, thank you, Mother Russia, everything's awesome. If you're not in that in Stalin's regime, then you're going to the gulag. So one of the things that I'll see from leaders that are insecure and dictatorial, um, that they will, you know, fail to understand that it's okay to say it's not okay. It's not an affront on your leadership. For someone to speak up about a problem, a problem in the culture, maybe a problem you're creating, that's how you get better. And sometimes your answer to the problem might have to be, that's what we're doing and that's how it is. How can I help you rise to this challenge better? But recovery has to be understood to be a part of the workout. I'll tell you about Dana. She loves her work. Um, She has an overthinking pattern, so she just obsesses over everything. And it was very simple for me to, uh, in coaching with her, just two things. Um, One, it's time to take a vacation and interrupt that pattern. Uh, You know, the goal isn't to build a life that you have to take a vacation from. I've heard that before and I love it. But that you do need these pattern interrupts. Recovery is a part of the workout. Two, what's it like for you to build more recovery into your weekends? A lot of people just BS themselves on how long they can go. I'm pretty weird about having moments in my weekend where I feel like, "Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. I don't have to live like I did in high school when my car battery was going bad and I had to get jumper cables uh, in my car trunk and I would go from place to place and get jumps rather than replace my battery. 
Uh, I didn't want to slow down and replace the battery. I had to get to the next party, get to the next thing. It's ridiculous and stupid and funny now. Uh, but this is how most people are living. And we want to learn to have that slow trickle recovery. And a way that I recognize that I am not recovering like I need to, it's because I get rigid and I get upset about small, stupid things. Uh, a few months ago, no, not even that long, a month and a half ago, man, doing the academy was so much work. And uh, I remember I was in my kid's room and I just started crying. And I was like, I'm just, I'm just tired. And I'm like, whoa, I really got to pay attention to this. There's your clue, Chris. But a healthy me builds a healthy we. You don't lead well when you're frustrated, passive, or insecure. And, um, you know, you don't live well when you're making thinking the center of who you are. Living is the center of who you are. I like this Ray Bradbury quote I've shared before. Uh, thinking is the skin that holds the living in. And we've become such a cerebral people, which is powerful and great. But if we're always in our heads, not present in the moment, mindful, then we can't relax and enjoy the moment. So I do value mindfulness. You see, I'm not anti. Um, I could tell you the story of Heather, name has changed again to protect the innocent, uh, who just felt guilt. She like always got to be in the office. It was her business. It was doing well. The employees always need to see me here. And she was just burning out. And so what's it look like for her to change, change her routine up? Her job is to show up with a full heart so she can lead well. Um, I could go on and on. Let's move to number six. Number six, healthy cultures. Victor cultures are call out moments happening. Are call out moments happening. Look, I've said this to you before. I'll say it again. Growth and development isn't about trust falls, more PowerPoint, more yelling. Uh, it's got to be call-out moments that are happening. Um, I'll tell you the story of a man named Tim. The name has been changed to protect the innocent. Um, he was savage in business with truth-telling, and it helped a lot of people. He was um, funding other businesses as an investor, but drifting in his own world. And when he went through our 12-week coaching, and I have tons of these stories, he learned to call himself out and hear the call out of his close partner, his, his love interest, and things changed because he started to see, ah, I can tell truth in business, but I'm not telling truth to myself. Um, look, Google did this study over two years, 180 teams, and they found that the greatest thing that could happen for effective teams, and they defined effectiveness in four ways. The executive thinks it's effective. The team leader thinks it's effective. The team members think it's effective. And sales performance uh, was measured against quarterly quota. They found that the number one, the number one um, factor for effective teams was psychological safety. And a victim culture tries to wait for psychological safety to come or violently takes it there. When a culture's healthy, a victor culture, they understand, I don't get psychological safety by tearing you down. I call myself out first. Uh, it's the power of 8 Mile, Eminem. He calls himself out at the end before the other rapper can. Now, after I've called myself out, I'll also call you out. Uh, I like the way that some team builders, uh, the, some of the best team books talk about it, that effective team cultures aren't happening until peer accountability is in place. So this is a huge idea, and I see this uh, losing ground because over and over and over, um, there are people that think we're going to make society better by taking them down. That's not how societies move forward. So I don't want to be in a place that I am burying what could actually build the relationship. So what if you get called out? Listen, don't be defensive. Accept responsibility, don't make excuses, and take action. And if you're calling yourself out, build. You know, you don't want to build pedestals, you want to deconstruct them. And how do you do that? Well, the best way to do it, and I'm going to step into the seventh question here, and this is for sure what I've seen over and over in lots of different places, healthy cultures. Here's the question. 
are micro-apprenticeships happening. People are impacting people. When people are impacting people and taking them somewhere positive for their development, it's the other six I've covered, the culture is not a victim culture. It's a victor culture, and it becomes catalytic. I'm mean, going to tell you the story about Carl and you know his life changed. He went through Figure That Shift Out or 12 weeks. Um, so he then took his right-hand person through it. Why? Because he understood. I, I now know about proving and hiding my leadership. I want them to understand about proving and hiding. So they can call me out. I can call them out. So that's why I ask, are micro-apprenticeships happening? Uh, I don't care what you do. I don't care what you use. I don't care how you do it. But people are going to be fulfilled and challenged to be at their edge of their abilities when they are mentoring others. And I know that teams and corporations have a hard time with this. Uh, I mean, I was teaching my daughter driving last night, and for sure, when she can drive, I am going to have her teach her sister, right? Of course, I'm going to be in the car. Um, Why? Because I'm having to remember, oh, when you park, I got to use phrases like, don't clip the the parking spot, you got to swing wide. I'm having to take myself back to a beginner's mind, and that's hard. She's closer to a beginner's mind. She's going to be much fresher on the insights that are gained. She's learned things that I now take for granted. So, so what has to happen in healthy cultures? We're developing each other. We're developing each other. We're empowering. We're getting that third belief system like I talked about. Um, and I will say unashamedly, I offer to the world site shift as a way for micro apprenticeships to happen. See, I think large or long-term apprenticeships don't work. They eventually break down at some point. You got to graduate people. It's overwhelming for the mentor, the mentee. The healthiest thing is something short that's skill focused. And so that's why I'm super passionate about not only now people going through our 12 week process, but people going through it with a certified coach because those certified coaches have the beginner's mind and they're getting the advanced training of skill. But either way, whatever it is, micro-apprenticeships happening, bring something into your company where you are actively building the leadership environment. The question isn't, are you growing as a leader? Are the people around you growing? And I see such a reticence to bring in resources. And it's just the weirdest thing to me. And I'm not saying you want to bring in a new resource every month and make people feel like you're jerking the will and there's always something new. Bring in some kind of books. Bring in some kind of training and start making a part of your language and a part of your culture. Uh, This is one of the reasons why we do the Academy so we can offer training at a bunch of different levels so that there can be a cohesive ecosystem. Whatever you do, just do something micro apprenticeships so that the culture doesn't stagnate no culture is static it has to be dynamic and sharing okay sharing what you know with others helping them develop and grow is how that is done this is how the world changes whether it was someone learning how to make in uh, you know how the yoke for the oxen <laughs> uh, 1800 years ago or how to effectively execute a strategy and everything in between listen I hope that in some way you've learned to recognize the perniciousness of the victim culture that's being grown around us. Um, I think it is very dangerous. I think it matters to pay attention to. And I think that you don't have to worry about fighting it. Just build the victor culture. Use these seven questions as a diagnostic. Thanks for being here for possibly the longest podcast episode yet. Maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Have an awesome day. And don't forget, the Academy is there for you. I can't be there for you all the time. I don't want to let you hurt, but it's there for you. TheSightShiftAcademy.com. Peace.